This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote idea to the meaning of the word? Hello. He's back. Welcome back. Yeah. Thanks. It's weird being back because I'm still on paternity leave. It's How long are you talk. you on leave till? So we're recording this today, July 2nd. I go back July 12th. Okay. Yeah. So Shannon has one more surgery operation next Friday. It's really good timing because hopefully our life will kind of go back to normal right as I go back to work. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, that's great. How has everybody been? We're good. Uh, I spent the first two weeks bored out of my mind, hanging out and work slack, like on the couch, but we're good. Baby's healthy. She's little. She came in six pounds. Yeah. Shannon's recovering and the boys are adjusting and I'm adjusting and we're all good. What do the boys think? They love her. Jaden's our was our youngest, now our middle child. He like he just wants to hug her all the time. And anytime she's fussy, he runs and grabs her passy. And he's two. He's real into it. And Beckett likes her, but Beckett's just real amped all the time. So we have to temper him. If you're gonna <laughs> jump weird. up and down, go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, you too, Jason. Yeah. Dude, I told Spencer, CEO Podia, like, I'm really grateful for this family time and simultaneously so ready to get back to using my brain. <laughs> when you've got a little baby, you can't play with them, you know? Right. So it's a lot of just making sure that you always have your eye on them, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's, I experienced this with the first two kids and I like talking to my friends, I feel a little less like an oddball, but. Shannon's been like growing that baby. So she's connected to it for nine months. And when it comes out, she's not really awake. She can't see very well. So we don't really like bond. Like I hold her and I'm like, oh, like I helped create you (laughs) and I love her, but we don't have that bond yet. So it's It's very similar to releasing your first Ruby gem before anyone uses it. (laughs) It's the exact same thing. So anyway, what's new with y'all? Not a whole lot. We got our foundation board on the house. We're uh, leaving for a vacation to Disney for a couple weeks in a couple weeks. So excited <laughs> awesome. to get away. But, you know, trying to document like all the progress in the house, they're going to start framing like a couple days before we leave. And I'm like, this is just the worst time to leave. That's when it will look like a house when they get the right. framing up. We'll see. But I'm sure framing is going to take a while, but it's right now very muddy out there. And I parked my car in the grass and like uh-huh. just spinning tires in the mud. And I was like, uh-oh, I have to call Brooke to like tow me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I know Jack about building a house, but that seems like really fast to get the foundation laid. I've actually done some of this work. It's really, you would be surprised at the amount of time it takes to do certain things versus like the amount of time it takes for them to actually start doing it. (laughs) I could see that. So the footings took, I forget, uh, most of it's been they'll go and spend a day or two setting up the forms and everything. And then like pouring the concrete, they have a ton of concrete trucks coming out there and we have a pump truck that sends the concrete up through the pipe way up high and can reach everything and actual pour days are just like a day. They really kind of only set up enough to pour in a single day, which makes sense. Right. So 
they ended up doing the footings. Then the inspector comes out and then tells you your footings are okay, except you might be building too close to a creek and you need to talk to an engineer and make, verify that you're not in a floodplain and you freak out all weekend. So that happens. And then you get into the walls of the house for the basement. And then they just poured the footings and the frost walls for the garage, which basically the footings are like way down in the dirt. And then you have the frost walls to kind of make sure that it's below where the ground freezes so that you don't have problems. I'm not sure exactly what problems, but you know, (laughs) that's not to find out. Yeah. So yeah, we had probably a good week to pour all the footings and walls and everything. And now it's 10 days uh, to sit around and cure before they start doing the, well, they just started doing a little bit of the waterproofing for the basement. So down at the footings, they will put in a black pipe with holes in it so that water that does get down there can go through that and out to the creek or whatever. And then they backfill that with some stone, small, like inch sized gravel or whatever. And then they'll maybe today, if it's dried out a bit, they'll go and fill back in the dirt up to the wall whenever they, cause they have to spray that black waterproofing on the concrete because concrete definitely absorbs water and you don't want that to go right through your basement. So they had done a little bit of that, but not finished the waterproofing layer on there. So yeah, hopefully, I don't know, the end of this week, I guess they might be done with that. And then here in a couple of weeks, we'll have wood going up and lumber just dropped like 50% or 40% on, at least on like futures and stuff. It's, wow. it takes time for that to, to actually show up the lumber yard. So I don't think we're going to get a 40% discount, unfortunately, but mm. we have like seven meetings set up. So we can verify exactly what cabinets and what front door and what windows and like the exterior doors and literally everything's kind of getting ordered all at once. Refrigerators are like six months delay. So trying to like get that done and I'll be glad once all of the things are ordered and then we can just sit around and watch them install it. At least you got some movement. You spent so long playing games with them. Yeah. Sitting around and waiting for our architect to make us our changes and then waiting for a meeting and then waiting for him to make other changes and waiting for another meeting. And there's a lot of waiting. So Andrew, yeah. what's good with you? A lot, everything I'm doing good. <laughs> oh, I don't know. God. You caught me off guard. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm really happy that everything is working out well with you and the kids. So congrats. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that made me happy. And other than that, I'm, as always, almost on my website. You know how that goes. I've also started doing some upgrades and some old gems and stuff. So that's been fun to kind of get back into, oh, I remember this project. And now maybe this project lives or dies. We'll decide. But it's been fun. I also incredibly regret making all those GitHub actions a while ago. It was really bad. <laughs> you, I mean, you went on a spree. I feel like yeah. when GitHub actions came out, like anytime I was like, I wonder if this exists. Andrew Mason... You had one for every one of them. Yeah, I did. It was a huge mistake. Well, it was good at the time, but now they don't really need to exist. I think because the platform has kind of matured and changed and certain features have been added. And whenever someone comes on like some of these actions, I'm like, why are you using this? But I get it because it's like a drop-in solution. 
the worst part about it is really the fact that it's almost never an issue with the action. It's always something with your setup because they're so context dependent, I think. Some of them have the Ruby version baked in, which I couldn't really do anything about for some actions and this and that. And then people are like, it's not working. And they send me the logs and like the errors in the log. And it's not with my thing. And I'm like, ugh. if you send me the log file for something and the answer is in the log, I'm going to be really angry and I may not respond. <laughs> All right. That's how I feel. You, yeah, I feel like you went from happy to, to triggered. I did. <laughs> you just, you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You just saw the flip. Yeah, I feel that where you're like doing bug reports and or dealing with them. And it's, did you read the logs? It says exactly what you did wrong here. We need to build the equivalent of, let me Google that for you, but let me read the logs for you. And you paste them in and it's, I don't know, highlights one line at a time until it's like blaring the, on the I'm one that you this. should have read. <laughs> I will fund this if someone makes this. I mean... Adam Wadden was like <laughs> tweeting about this kind of phenomenon, quote unquote phenomenon earlier this week where he was. Oh, like, I saw that. Yeah. The, the majority of GitHub issues are me solving like non issues with my library and it's super frustrating. And like he wanted GitHub to do something about it. I don't think there's really anything GitHub can do about it. No, I think the discussions and converting an issue to a discussion can help a bit where it's look, this isn't something I'm going to deal with as a maintainer, but the community can help you. I think that's why in Rails, you often get pointed to, what is it, the mailing list or the, the there, Ruby on yeah, Rails yeah, yeah. forum and stuff. Yeah. They're like, we don't take feature requests here. Go somewhere else for that. That helps. But at the same time, there's a lot of those just not useful issues that are not really issues. And that, that can be hard to deal with. And I don't know how you, how is GitHub going to solve that? There, you have yeah. to understand the context of, the project and what the person's doing and whatever to determine if it's an actual issue or not. But it's kind of interesting. What helped for me was like creating a specific issue template, trying to push people down certain paths. Now, I haven't really done a ton of stuff with the discussions yet, although I've been playing with the API a little bit because I realized that it would be a cool way to add comments to your blog almost with the GitHub discussions API or doing other random crap like that I do, whatever. But that would be also like, I would definitely be hitting like turn into a discussion. But in order for that to even be helpful, you have to have people who are willing or even looking into your discussions, right? Otherwise, it's just like, I turn into a discussion, it still remains unsolved. And then (laughs) that person's like hitting you up. Yeah, right. Yeah. Adam had an interesting idea as a follow-up tweet, which was like, imagine basically triaging new issues where they don't show up under issues until the maintainer accepts it and says like, I approve of this issue, which I think is kind of interesting. I don't know what happens though, if you didn't approve it. That's really kind of the big question is what happens to it if it's not an issue? Like where does it go? You could do that with a GitHub action. Like the issue gets created and as you're triaging issues, you could use like a keyword for a GitHub action And then that keyword, if you post that keyword, it would then do certain things like maybe add labels, maybe convert to a discussion, put it somewhere and close it, reply with an automated response or the bot said it wasn't cool, not me. It kind of seems like his idea is like around imagining having a button that would start by asking you, 
is this a question of how to use the library or is this a i believe there's a bug in the library it'd be kind of interesting to have like a the new issue button or something take you to that where you like are oh, that, prompted to choose that. okay you yeah, with yeah. The, the issue templates, because I think now one of the options is to go straight to a discussion. So I think there's like a config uh, file you can use to set all that stuff that you put in your .github folder. And then you, you could use, and that's what I was kind of saying earlier, like I've used that kind of way to try to triage things certain ways. Especially, but and still, I, I, I think they still show up in issues, don't they? Or well, whatever. There's an option. I think there's a specific one that lets you go straight to discussions, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah, that could be. A good way of handling it. I haven't played a ton with those. I've done like the templates where it's like, here's prompts for you to show. What are you trying to do? What did you attempt? What failed? What did you expect to happen? Those sort of like prompts of helping someone think out what they're writing is really valuable. It's so funny the amount of times when you can tell like pretty easily a junior developer from a senior because the junior is going to oftentimes be like, I tried this and it didn't work. And that's all the info they give you. And then a lot of seniors you'll talk to are like, okay, I tried this, but I was trying to do this. And I got this response back, which doesn't seem right. It seems like it should be this instead or whatever. And you end up oftentimes with a lot of, a lot more context there, which I think is useful to train people to do that, provide the context because it makes a world of difference. If you've been listening to the show for a bit, then you know that Jason and Chris have a crush on Laravel, and I basically battle JavaScript for fun. Regardless of what end of the stack and what language, they all have one thing in common, and that's Honey Badger. Stop wasting time configuring your tools and focus on shipping, knowing that no matter where you are, Honey Badger has your back. Oh, and speaking of shipping, the Honey Badger blog has been on fire recently. Seriously, and I don't say this lightly. Some of the best technical writing you're going to find all in one place. So go check that out. And while you're there, sign up for Honey Badger. Let them know he sent you. Thank you so much to Honey Badger for continuing to sponsor Remote Ruby and for not killing me for all the JavaScript errors I sent you this weekend. Here's a hot tip. If you're leaving an issue, as soon as you hit submit, read your issue and pretend you're the maintainer of that library. And if that issue doesn't make any sense to you, close that issue. Yeah, or add details, right? Yeah, yeah. that's one of those things you should read that over and be like, if someone opens this, are they going to be able to help me or am I just going to frustrate them? Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. You're very like concerned with the issue and trying to explain it. And then after you post it, you can reread it and think of it in the context of like, if someone else was reading this, would they understand it or not? And that's probably going to give you a lot of little, oh, should have included this, should have included that. Maybe I should rename yep. the title of the issue because it doesn't quite match up with the actual issue. Yeah, a video. Yep. That mm-hmm. kind of stuff makes a world of difference. For sure. Jason, you are upgrading Rails, question mark? Yeah, sorry. I don't ever open issues. I just silently cry and keep going. Just, so you I don't, just assign them to somebody else? That's the yeah. 10x move right there. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't read uh, issues. Well, I don't really have any projects. The only one I have is the... CMS reflex testing, but I don't have a lot of time to put towards it. So yeah, so I've been itching to do some stuff. So I thought I would upgrade dependencies just to feel alive. And oh so my I've God. Been, are you okay? Yeah. Well, I don't have a ton of time to sit down and solve a problem. So you chose an extremely hard problem to yeah. upgrade. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so 
I've been like working on Hope Grid and I was like, okay, I'm on like Rails 60 something. I was like, I'll go up to Rails 61. And then, yeah, like two hours later, I was like, hey, y'all want to record? So it's interesting though. Usually, like, I keep like small things up to date, but like Hope Grid, I've just kind of let run. It ain't broken, don't fix it kind of thing. And there, I was trying to install a gym and it was conflicting with my version of view component. And so that's when I was like, okay, I'm just going to go ham and update everything. So I started using, what is it? Stop me if we've talked about this before. I'm pulling it up. Next Rails. Yeah, I've heard about it. I don't think we've talked that, about it. That Ernesto's gem? Yeah. We, we totally talked about it. Okay. So, yeah, I'm not doing any of the like dual booting stuff that it does. But what I am doing is just trying to get a list of all the outdated dependencies, which it's really good at. So, yeah, I've just been going one by one. And so, yeah, my thing I didn't do in Hope Grid was I didn't like when I added Jim, I wouldn't put a version in there. I guess I thought like, oh, I like the like simplicity of it. But in hindsight, that's kind of been hell. I don't know. Do you guys, do you guys version your gyms? Yes. Every time this gets brought up, I get triggered because I'm like, you please people version your gems or this happens. This is a prime (laughs) example of why I always at minimum have a major version constraint, but almost always I go down to a minor patch. Yep. Same thing. I wish that all of the gem readme's would use bundle add instead of add this to your gem file because that will always add the latest version of your gem and lock the version for you. So you're mm. safe. I put the whole thing, which is stupid because I have to update the version every time I update the gem, but I put it in the readme like the correct, what I deem to be the correct way to add it to your gem file with the version. I put in like the, what I deem to be the correct way to version the gem in your gem file for the gems I put out. Yeah, including your major and minor or whatever. Yeah, with the tilde thingy. See, I never realized that bundle add actually tacked on the version. Like so, I just ran it and there it is. Hold on. You just reminded me of yeah, I tilde, just, wa- it's, it's, tilde yeah. waka. <laughs> what is it? What is it? The tiddly waka? Waka yeah. flaka? Oh my gosh, I forgot I all about that. I to say this word. Hold on. Someone's yes. got to find this. Jason yeah, what you, this what you called it? You called I, it I something called it, inappropriate. Well, yeah, I, the spermy operator. <laughs> yeah, yeah I forgot I've all about it. this. That was the Twitter first discussion. term I ever heard it described as. So that's oh, I know it's not what it's called, quote unquote. But come on, it's easy <laughs> to remember. The pessimistic operator, yeah, tilde yeah. waka, spermy operator, pessimistic operator. Is it tilde waka? <laughs> Twiddlewaka. Twiddlewaka. He said the pattern section of the Ruby Gems guide refers to it as a Twiddlewaka. (laughs) I think I hate that. I don't know. That doesn't, I don't like that word. A (laughs) Twiddlewaka. What is that? That sounds like a dance. So, anyways, if you've ever wondered how to pronounce the tilde greater than symbol, now you know. You're welcome. Spermy. So, anyways, we can go back to your upgrading situation jason (laughs) yeah i don't really i mean it's not really like the most exciting thing but what i found myself doing was then going through every version i would first i was like commit gym and i'd put the act i'd lock it to the version i might upgrade it to the latest one and then it just became one massive commit to master 50 gym upgrades so i don't know the name of the gem there's a gem that you can run that will 
automatically go look at your gem.lock and then correctly add the uh, things to your gem file. So correctly really? like, version them. Yeah. Mm, that's cool. I have no idea what it's called, but it's somewhere out there. Something well, Waka. Gem file Waka. I need to go get a gem named Waka Flocka. <laughs> PSA for the day is add your freaking version numbers. Personal story. Like my first Rails job was on some project that was in Rails 2.3 before the gem file existed. You would put your gems in application.rb as like config.gem. And of course, maybe a third of them were unversioned and it needed specifically a not the latest version of one of the gems. And I tried to get the application running for like two weeks as my first job. I didn't know Ruby. I didn't know Rails. I didn't know any of this stuff. I had done just Python. And then I'm like, well, the code runs, but like this stuff doesn't boot and whatever broke and all of this. And I'm like reading everything I can and nothing's helping and trying all these things. And then talk to a coworker and he's, oh yeah, you just need to install the like second to the latest version of this gem because it broke in the latest version. And I'm like, what the hell? Why wouldn't you version this? And from that day on, I was like, this is the way it's got to be. Got to version things. And even some of the stuff that like web console or buy bug or whatever, I sometimes didn't do that because I was like, oh, I always want the latest versions of those. No, they still break. A new version of Ruby is going to come out or new Rails or something's going to come out. It'll still break. So... At this point, I'm like, just version everything. And if you like lock it down to a major version or something, then that's fine. As long as you have something there, it's better than nothing, I feel like. Because I can't tell you how frustrated I was with that. And I was like, that's actually what convinced me to buy my first Mac. Because I had struggled so much with compiling the native gems on Linux and another coworker got an iMac for the office and set up the app in Rails and Ruby in three hours. And I had taken two weeks to set all that stuff up and it still wasn't fully functional. And I was like, done. Or I'll just buy it, whatever it costs. Give me a MacBook. Yeah, I've learned my lesson. That's literally the only coding I've how done. Was, how was your test suite? Was it good? Were you able to like be confident in the upgrade or were you yellowing? For what it's worth, I used the um, Simplikov and it's 94% test coverage. So I feel pretty good. I have some request specs, stuff like that. So yeah, I had a couple, like something with rendering in Rails between 6.1 and 6.0 change where render now is like always has the layout. And that broke some stuff for me in Stimulus Reflex because like I'd render a view component or really a partial, and it would try and render the whole layout. So I had to pass, go through and pass layout false anywhere. I say like application controller.render. The test did not catch that, but everything else seemed to be good. Of course, I also had to update RSpec Rails as part of it because going from Rails 6.0 to 6.1, Rails changed, so then RSpec Rails changed. And so I thought, oh, I have 20 failures because of Rails changes, but nope, just had to update RSpec. So that was... Oh, I wish I would have used mini test, but I'm not going to rewrite 94% coverage. Don't be a right hater. Now. Yeah. RSpec life. As someone who doesn't write RSpec, RSpec life. Oh, God. Is this the new thing? Is this the new Hamel? Yeah, it could be. 
I'm just going to get on like line and just start prophesizing about things that I don't even use. <laughs> you must use RSpec. Yeah. Although I do use Hamel. I use Hamel every day. So that one I stand behind. Fully? No, no, like there's not a single thing you'd change about it. I would make it the required Rails thing. I would replace ERB. And Don't you have a meeting to go to? I do actually have a meeting I got to go to. I do have mm, to drop. This seems abrupt and timely. Whoops, bye. I know. Andrew. Oh. And <laughs> he's, he's gone. He <laughs> All oh, right. Well, well, I have to go as well. But yeah, maybe we can do this again soon. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully they'll get less short. Right. Yeah. Because you're on leave. I'll be on vacation. We're squeezing in while we can. But there's a potential mega episode coming up with multiple podcasts joining into one Voltron thingy. So we'll see how we'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later. See ya. 